0: Hi, and thanks for listening to Curious Medicine. I'm Christy. I'm Brian. And today we're talking about physicians'
1: fees. Yes, and Christy, I'd like to start us off. I don't know if you know this, but I happen to be uh, a poetry reader.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> That's not actually true, but in this case, we're going to pretend that it is. And I'm going to share with you a poem that, is, uh, that speaks to what we're talking about today. And this is the sound of my glasses unfolding. Okay, Okay, now I've unfolded my glasses. Let doctors call in clothing fine arrayed with sparkling jewels on their hands displayed. For when well-dressed and looking over nice, you may presume to charge a higher price since patients always pay those doctors best who make their calls in finding clothing dressed.
0: Oh, bravo. Thank very you. good. Thank very you very well done. Now, let me
1: just say that this is from the regiment of Sanititas of Salerno. I probably <laughs> slaughtered that, but that's where it's from. It's not my work. It's not an original.
0: It was written in the 12th century, and it's from a book called Strange Medicine.
1: So why is it important? What are we talking about today?
0: Well, today we're talking about how physicians got reimbursed for their services, in short. That's what we're talking about.
1: So basically how doctors got paid.
0: Get paid. Make that money. (laughs) Both of us would like to preface this conversation by saying that we work for and with doctors of all kinds. and. We don't have an opinion about this, um, whether physicians are overpaid or underpaid. We're just here to talk about how this has been handled (laughs) over the, you know, since the ancient times.
1: It's just kind of a review of the historical evolution of physician reimbursement. So, Christy, when looking at this one, you know how I like to try to trace everything back to uh, tribal uh, situations and then work my way forward. This Mm -hmm. one, really, when we talk about uh, medicine and the formalization of really kind of medical practice, the earliest known writings that I came across were something called the Code of Hammurabi, if I'm saying that correctly. And that's uh, in around 2000 BC, and it was a a series of laws that were set by the King of Babylon, and it's really considered to be the oldest known record of medical fees.
0: The Code of Hammurabi suggested that physicians deserved reverence and should be paid accordingly. But that payment owed to a physician should be clearly established and regulated by law. Under Babylonian rule, everyone, didn't matter what social class you were from, everyone could receive unrestricted medical care. But you didn't get equal care. There were three classes. There was the upper class, the middle class, and then the slave class. And if you were a slave, you're fees for medical services or medical care had to be paid for by your owner. There were different levels of providers, um, such as priest healers, physicians, barbers, and then there were others as well. But this Code of Hammurabi established an outcomes-based uniform fees for services on a sliding scale. So what does that mean? It just means that the scale, the sliding scale was based on the patient's ability to pay. So if you were upper class, you paid the most. If you were middle class, you paid less than the upper class. <laughs> and if you were slave owners, you paid the least. And then it was also based on the nature and complexity of the procedure.
1: Yeah. And so I found a little excerpt from the Code of Hammurabi that kind of outlines exactly what you just said and the way that they put it. I'm going to try to read this. I I nailed the poem in the beginning, so hopefully I get this one. If a physician has treated a man with a metal knife for a severe wound and has cured the man or has opened a man's tumor with a metal knife and cured a man's eye, then he shall receive 10 shekels of silver. If the son of a plebeian, he shall receive five shekels of silver. If a man's slave, the owner of the slave shall give two shekels of silver to the physician. So, yeah, I don't know what a shekel is. I'm assuming I don't know what the (laughs) currency exchange for a shekel and the dollar are, but. Um, yeah, it's basically exactly what you outlined there. It, it, it was dependent yeah. on your, your status in society, basically how much you paid.
0: Yeah, it was quite specific. Um, this code of Hammurabi also established that there were no separate charges for medications. So if you went to the doctor and they were treating you, whatever medications were necessary were included in, in that price. So I talked about how this was an outcomes-based kind of a deal. These rules demanded quality outcomes. So doctors had heavy-duty consequences to pay if the patient didn't get well. And in part, this prevented incompetent physicians or other practitioners from relocating to some other place to continue practicing. Um, For example, this is a paraphrase of of what's written in the Code of Hammurabi. If a physician treats an abscess in the eye with a lancet, and the eye is destroyed, cut off the physician's fingers. (laughs) If a slave goes to a barber and the barber removes the slave's brand so that his owner will no longer be able to claim him, cut off the barber's forehand. If a doctor treated a slave and the slave died, the doctor would have to take the place of the slave. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Talk about malpractice. Whoa.
0: So Brian, after having described to you (laughs) the consequences of, you know, barbers or doctors, priest healers, whoever um, could not heal a certain patient or whatever, how would you feel about being a doctor in those days?
1: Well, it's interesting because now malpractice basically hits you in the pocket, right? So if a doctor does something, unless it's uh, criminally negligent, then that's a whole different set of circumstances. But Again,
0: we reference uh, Dr. Death Death podcast.
1: Check that one out. But in a case where a doctor does something that's deemed to be malpractice or something where they make a mistake, Mm -hmm. they're going to be financially uh, penalized for that or to the point of maybe losing a medical license or some other kind of restriction on their license and ability to practice medicine. I don't think that... uh, uh, you know a misdiagnosis or uh, some sort of treatment error is going to result in your fingers being cut off or <laughs>
0: yeah what if you're like a surgeon today and you <laughs> you you know go to drain an abscess and they get septic and die or something ooh, you'd have to get your fingers cut off yeah, yeah. I mean that's
1: pretty intense and there's then you might of- have
0: to you know become like a radiologist or yeah. something
1: <laughs> again, we love doctors. <laughs> But there are people make mistakes. Human beings make mistakes. So I can't imagine being held to the standard of, again, uh, good doctors make mistakes. Right. Everyone makes mistakes. But if the consequences of those mistakes were so severe, I think it would have definitely uh, maybe deterred people from pursuing that line of work. Yeah. Um, If you're going to think like, you know, I really love medicine, but if I make a mistake, I could wind up in slavery or wind up with my... (laughs) Yeah, the limb's cut off. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. pretty extreme. So.
0: Actually, while we're in this vein, it's interesting because I've read in all of the the weeks that we've been doing research for these different topics now, I've read several times over and over. The same things come up over and over again in the research, as you know. Um, but they talk about how doctors, barbers, when we did barber surgeons and and doctors alike, would often... Shy away from cases that were, you know, um, useless. Like if a patient was, you know, bound to die, they would just not do offer any service because they didn't want to have to pay the consequences. And I guess this is a perfect example of that.
1: Yeah, well, what if you had something that maybe could be cured, but they're like,
0: eh. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. I'm not feeling that focused today.
1: <laughs> I just need someone to take a chance. I don't I mean, know. I
0: should have one more cup of coffee yeah. before we try to tackle this bad boy.
1: <laughs> Talk about referrals. <laughs> so it's interesting when you kind of follow the timeline and we go to kind of antiquity and we look at, uh, you know, after the Code of Hammurabi being, like I said, one of the oldest known record of describing medical fees. And we look at the writings um, in ancient writings. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me was a quote from the Jewish Talmud where it says, a physician for nothing is worth nothing. And that's interesting that that's actually written in, like, mm-hmm. would be considered a, a religious writing that describes how uh, the worth of being able to cure and practice medicine, I guess cure is not the right word, but being able to treat people and practice medicine um, has a value and mm-hmm. that physician Should be paid and compensated for what that's worth in society. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the way that medicine uh, Western medicine kind of has its roots uh, when we get to ancient Rome uh, remember that a lot of the people who practice medicine really came from Greece the influences from Greece really Uh, Kind of started the practice of medicine for lack of a better way of putting it in Rome And so in Rome before that time medicine and magic and spirituality were all kind of connected together And it wasn't until the the Greek influences where we start to see kind of a more professional practice of medicine Um, But at the as medicine started to develop in Rome We start to see a debate philosophically over whether medicine is considered to be an art or what they considered a technique or a skill or a craft and basically, the argument was something like this. If medicine was a craft, like carpentry, then physicians should be paid similarly. And the the basis for that is you, you're paid to earn a living so that you can take care of your essential needs, right? If medicine is a liberal art, then medicine occupies the highest position of all professions. Society should then, therefore, meet all of the physician's financial demands, and the rich should pay the physician more than enough so that he does not have to charge the poor for whom he provides a charity. And so... I'm going to slaughter these names, but Hippocrates, Aristophanes, Sophocles, Plato, Aristotle, Galen. Oh, I got them Sounds all. Sounds like you said I them all correctly. Legit. They were all uh, physicians of the day and, and uh, philosophers in their own right. They all debat- debated whether physicians should be paid at all. And basically whether or not the, the art itself of medicine was, and we've heard that before being in medicine. that that And I remember a uh, ER doctor told me once that there's a difference between the science of medicine and the art of medicine. So, no, it, it it's interesting. There was another quote that I read from a guy named Gargilius Martillis, and he he says, uh, some doctors charge the most excessive prices for the most worthless medicines and drugs. So, clearly, <laughs> this was a, an issue even back then.
0: And I, th- I think it's interesting, too, to point out here while we're talking about this that based on past episodes that we've done, for example, the barber surgeon episode, where You know, doctors didn't want to be viewed as as them knowing a craft. They didn't want to be associated with surgeons because they thought that was beneath them. So but here we're saying if medicine is thought of as a craft and so doctors are than craftsmen they deserve to get paid more right because they they have this craft they have this skill they deserve to be paid more mm-hmm. if it's an art they deserve maybe not to be paid at all. Right. <laughs> so ironically physicians have never wanted to be associated with this being a craft but they want to have the benefit of getting right, paid right, more <laughs> right
1: well we have to remember too and i i have point in some again some of the stuff is going to overlap if you're one of our five followers you may be like you've said this before (laughs) but you have to remember that in Greece uh, a lot of the the Greek influence because medicine at that time uh, as as Roman civilization was developing they borrowed a lot from the Greeks clearly culturally and a lot of other ways medicine is no different Uh, many of the Greek uh, uh, doctors that became practice that practice medicine in rome were former slaves that were taken uh, during some sort of roman conquest so medicine at that time was not necessarily viewed as the highest profession as in earlier times in mm-hmm. rome because of the association with the greek doctors or medical professionals being former slaves mm-hmm. so that wasn't necessarily like you didn't tell your son like i want you to grow up to be yeah. a doctor you know
0: they were even lower than surgeons yeah <laughs> so i
1: mean it's and over time that changed so don't right. get me you know from everything that i've researched yeah that, it's
0: that again, Flow. It's exactly. that one minute we're we're too good, and the next minute we're nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But I think there's always been this this uh, association with with the care of the human body at that level. Mm-hmm. To well, I deserve to be compensated for this, you know. I'm not just building you, you know, a chicken coop. I'm right, <laughs> right, making sure right. that you can live. Right. So I think people have always uh, realized that, and the people that practice medicine are like, I deserve a little bit more money for this. It you know, <laughs> takes a lot. <laughs>
0: In one of the books that I was reading about all of this, Galen wrote that doctors practice medicine because they love one of the following, humanity, honor, glory, or money. Mm. (laughs) So Galen is said to have never asked for payment, but he accepted payment when it was offered to him.
1: Interesting, but he never asked for it.
0: Well, that's what the writings say.
1: He may not have asked for it specifically. He he's may like, have
0: been just standing there with his yeah, hand out, not asking, but I'm just go now, but <laughs> yeah.
1: I need an Uber. So
0: So while we're still talking about ancient cultures, um each each culture had their own practices or views and how they you know reimbursed physicians for their services. One interesting thing is um in China um in early times services were charitable. There were no economic or social incentives.
1: And so yeah, it was actually really interesting if you look at we were just talking about Rome and Greece and western quote unquote uh civilization at the time where there was a debate over whether or not people should be paid. In China as time progressed it really got to be whether they deserve to be paid And so one thing I read what I thought was really interesting that that the doctor historically was a paid retainer of sorts to keep uh, Patients healthy if the patient became sick, then the doctor was not paid until the patient's health returned and in some cases if the doctor uh, Tried to cure a patient if the patient was not cured then the doctor was the one who paid and so they So
0: the doctor had to pay the patient. Yeah. And, Fascinating. And that
1: was something that it was it said the doctor paid. I'm assuming that that yeah. was the patient yeah, no, that i makes did not sense. really find that to be clarified in, in what I read. So Let's
0: pretend like it is yeah, cuz we'll, that makes we'll it pretend, very interesting. Cuz some
1: Chinese historians going to be like that is not true. <laughs> You're perpetrating stereotypes.
0: So regarding ancient Egyptian physicians, they had temple physicians on staff. They may have received a salary. They were considered low on the social ladder. And they were available to see any patient who needed help, and they didn't charge a fee. The book that I read said they were well rewarded with goods and services. However, all physicians, whether they had a salary or not, prepared their own medications and they charged a fee for those medications. Okay, now moving over a little bit um, to ancient India, those physicians were exempt from paying taxes. They could be entitled to patient's property if the patient refused to pay them. Um, Some patients were treated for free, like um, priests were treated for free, friends of the doctor (laughs) were treated for free, much like it is today. (laughs) And uh, poor people were treated for free as well. And fees were determined by the patient's financial ability to pay.
1: So instead of sending you to collections like they do now, they just come and repossess your car. So.
0: Right. <laughs> they just go, hey, we're going to take your farm. Yeah. Like, like, literally, we're going to take your farm. Okay, Brian, I know you've already talked about ancient Greece physicians, or you've already talked about ancient Greece and Rome. But if we're talking about ancient Greece physicians who were, like, actually in Greece, not the ones who were in Rome... Treated patients, Um, patients who had money to pay for treatment had access to the most experienced doctors. And these doctors were usually the upper class. Um, Patients with little or no money had very few choices in physicians, much like today. Mm. Um, Payment was expected. Usually a lump sum was given from the patient to the doctor in advance. And doctors were discouraged from discussing payment with patients who were acutely ill or patients who they were known to be stressed or worried about money. So Can you that's interesting. Not be able to
1: pay your doctor. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm stressed. I'm right sorry. Now, that
0: and topic makes me a little bit I'm anxious. So I'm right. not
1: going to pay you. <laughs> No, it's interesting because it seems like the, the recurring theme, and we'll see this as we keep going here, is that there was a consideration of a, a person's ability to pay.
0: Right, and, because it says here that it, that was the same. Yeah, and same. so
1: the whole I, the, the concept of a sliding fee scale is something that is n- definitely not new and is as old as medicine itself. Uh, we'll see how that kind of, like you said, ebbs and flows with the time, but... So Christy, let's get in the time machine and move forward a little bit. Okay,
0: let me let me buckle up. It's time to go.
1: So we move forward to medieval Europe, and I thought it was really interesting that some of the, we see the same thing, just like you said, the ebb and flow between how people should be paid, how physicians should be paid, and whether or not the, uh, how uh, your ability to be able to pay. Um, and actually, in, in Chaucer, if you read, did you ever read the Canterbury Tales?
0: Um... I want to apologize to my high school English teacher right now if I was I feel like I was supposed to read that but I hate as much as I loved English and writing papers I Hated reading. I hated it. Well, you so have, I probably maybe read the cliffs notes.
1: You would have hated reading this book because I okay. remember it. and It was in old English, and it was one of the most frustrating things I've ever read. But one of the things that he actually writes about in there is he describes physicians as having a special love of gold, and so this was a theme that <laughs> you know, hey, these these dudes were really <laughs> expensive. And and again, remember that we start to see where. Medicine at the time in medieval Europe, after the fall of Rome and everything, uh, physicians are start to separate themselves by being uh, academic and trained in universities and really being available primarily for people who are really wealthy and can afford their services. Mm-hmm. So you have the division of, of kind of medical hierarchy with uh, apothecaries, barber surgeons, surgeons, physicians, and that was kind of set up that way. But I thought it was really interesting because I came across a few examples of different Cultures within medieval Europe and how they they tried to establish fees, which I thought was really interesting. And one of the the uh, one author that I read, a guy named Nakamides, who was a medieval Jewish writer at the time, wrote, "A physician may accept fees for loss of time and for the trouble of leaving his home and traveling, but should not be remunerated for simply giving instructions." I have to go back and say that the first time we read that, <laughs> I said renumerated, and I just decided to go and for I it. And I thought
0: it sounded like a math problem. It
1: did, and so <laughs> I went for it right there and I nailed it. So uh, it was interesting, too, that Jewish communities in the 17th and 18th centuries, they appointed a physician for several years and gave him a, a yearly salary or allowed the physician to charge specific fees. So to treat a poor person with no exception, no expectation of payment... And they would receive special payments for children and night calls and things like that. But these were all established. And so there was no, like, oh, I can charge you this much or this much. Or, you know, there was no, there was an established, people knew what to expect mm-hmm. for the services that they were going to get. And the physician knew that he was going to be compensated fairly. I thought that was really interesting. And that was one of the first mentions I saw in Europe that that system had been set up.
0: Yeah, one of the other interesting things in medieval Europe was that... Um, sometimes doctors were called upon to quote, offer their opinion, quote, or unquote, <laughs> uh, which is really just a like a patient consultation, right? um And they usually charged a very high fee for these consultations. But sometimes this was just a matter of like, one doctor writing a letter to another doctor and saying, hey, this is what's up with my patient. Um, can you offer an opinion? And they would do so in writing, but they were very rarely called upon to actually see and or treat the patient. So they wanted their advice and opinion, but they didn't They didn't have, there was no follow through. And yet they charged a very high fee for these.
1: So uh, with poor people, you saw the, and again, remember the church, Uh, Took on the responsibility for people who were not able to for the very poor, and it was a very I think the the real uh, division in in culture at the time. You had the extremely wealthy. And you had the poor. That's kind right. of the way yeah, it was. Right, yeah, there was no I middle mean, class. Yeah. I mean, you had, uh, 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 what do you call it, merchants and different yeah. people. But everyone was just, if you weren't rich, you were poor. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the way it was.
0: It's kind of like that in most third world countries still. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: that's just the, the way that things were set yeah. up. But the church actually took on a, a huge role in being able to uh, treat people out of charitable um, uh out of charity to be able to to provide medical care Mm -hmm. before laws were set up so that uh, to establish that priests were not allowed to, Perform mm-hmm. surgeries and things like that because they weren't allowed to desecrate the human body. Mm-hmm. They would actually hire on physicians to be able to treat the poor, and they were paid by the church, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really interesting too. Because from before I read that, I thought that really physicians were only for the rich, and that they didn't even really bother with with dealing with the poor. So I guess you've always had people who had the uh, you know the the high ideals that I want to help people. Yeah,
0: mom, I want to yeah. become
1: a doctor so I can help people. <laughs>
0: Altruism. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
1: So uh, one other source I read in medieval Islamic writings mentioned physician having side jobs or working for wealthy individuals so they didn't have to charge. And so they would do other jobs like uh, craftsmen, things like that. I don't know whether they like my, my father-in-law was a or my, excuse me, my stepfather was a surgeon and he used to like think he could fix everything. So <laughs> maybe that's what they did. Like I remember when I first started driving, I went out to go get in my car and he's under the car. I'm like, What are you doing? He's like. <laughs> The brakes need to be fixed. (laughs) I'm like, well, I know you're a surgeon, but (laughs) the brakes out of all the things? I mean, I can see changing the oil, but I, you know, I don't know.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah, I I read in several different places that um, because... Physicians were, you know, they they couldn't count on being paid necessarily, I guess, because if they were treating poor people or they're treating people based on their ability to pay, some people just didn't pay. And so they had to have other sources of income.
1: As colonists start to make their way to the new world, the doctors were reluctant to go with them. And I and again, we some of the stuff overlaps. I've talked about this in other episodes. But we, we see colonists turning to local healers, traditional remedies and cures. Uh, for medical care, because that's all they had. And, you know, they didn't just basically get a group of guys together and be like, "Let's bring a doctor." The doctors <laughs> were like, "I'm good. I, you know how much money I make every year. I'm not going to the new world." So the, the mortality rate was extremely high, things like malaria, uh, high infant mortality rate, diphtheria, yellow fever, all that kind of stuff. And so medical care was provided by minister physicians, apothecaries, and midwives, and barber surgeons. And so physicians who were trained in England and Scotland begin to make their way uh, slowly but surely along to, uh, out to the new world. But a lot of times it would go back. They were just like this. Isn't worth it. Nobody can really. I mean, there's there's really no. As they're developing currency and and uh, monetary systems weren't really developed, so people were trading goods and services for mm-hmm. everything. And they're like, I don't really want any more pigs. I, <laughs> I want to get paid.
0: <laughs> I have okay. enough I, eggs. Yeah, I,
1: you know. And so if you spend your time, just like anything else, you you spend all this time earning degrees and things like that. They want to be compensated for that. And yeah. Unless you have the the altruistic motives to to really help people and and be a missionary and go and do all the things that it meant to be in the new world at the time. I don't think it was necessarily worth it for them. As we move forward and more doctors and physicians who are formally trained in Europe, start to make their way to the new world. And as America achieves its independence from Britain and uh, the United States kind of is more established, we see the profession of medicine actually kind of following along. And so U S law has always treated selling medical service, Medical services the way it treats selling any other sales. And by that I mean it was like, more like what we were talking about about uh, ancient Rome, where it was really like uh, just like anything else, you were compensated based on the service you provided mm-hmm. and it wasn't, you weren't special. So doctors not only treat patients. And uh, some patients are able to pay with cash and some patients are able to pay with goods. For example, patients who weren't able to necessarily pay with cash would pay with things like coffee, tea, wine, beer, muslin, which is kind of cloth material, linen, handkerchiefs, silk stockings. (laughs) Yeah, mm. (laughs) Little something
0: for the wife.
1: (laughs) Glasses. And then one I thought was hilarious was bad paintings. (laughs) I don't have much to give you. But this is my Aunt well, Bernice I've got, here.
0: I've got two paintings here, <laughs> and I'm willing to give you this one.
1: This is my Aunt Bernice, and this is our <laughs> you know, one of our favorite cows. She passed on a little while ago. Well, uh, I thought it was really interesting, too, that, you know, they were always—doctors were thinking of other new ways to be able to make more money and, and uh, make more out of what they were able to do. And then when smallpox vaccinations became prevalent—and again, we've talked about this in other episodes— Ah, uh, this provided physicians with an additional non-emergency basis uh, of of income, and you remember, a lot of times doctors back then were kind of called on when they were kind of needed. It wasn't right. like preventative care. Like, right. oh, let me get a checkup. It was like, right. no. I'm dying. Yes. Get the doctor. Yeah, something is not right. right. And then <laughs> you were called for, and this person's on their deathbed, or yeah. they broke something, a horse ran over them. Or, I mean, it was yeah. more like emergency medicine yeah. is really what they're yeah. practicing. And most at the time were family kind of practicing physicians. Um, and so small smallpox vaccinations become very, very controversial at the time. Uh, but, and we mentioned this when we talked about uh, house calls and how doctors would basically, were running kind of research on who, mm-hmm. how effective these vaccinations were, who was getting the vaccinations, mm-hmm. and based on the information that they were getting about how effective the vaccination was uh, and the the number of outbreaks and the people who were being affected with smallpox, where quarantines were actually gonna be necessary and where people were gonna be put in, quote unquote, quarantine houses mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so they were compensated for that. And so it became a kind of a side business that became very profitable. I don't know how, and it doesn't really specify, but one thing that came to, to my mind was, how did that influence the the concept of vaccinations? Was it more like this works or oh, was it more like I'm making money It was monetary-driven. Of yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because we really didn't know.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: And another one I saw that uh, where they – and you see this a lot in medicine now where there's a lot of uh, – stepping on toes of one group decides, oh, I have the training for this skill. Mm-hmm. Well, we should be doing this. Mm-hmm. And another mm-hmm. group might say, well, we already do that. There's no reason for you to do that. Yeah, and it's then, Yeah, and the turf war back then had to do with delivering babies because midwives traditionally had, had taken on that role. Mm-hmm. And remember, we're still in a, you know, very religious, faith based right. kind of uh, Ladies, society. Yeah. Yeah, don't
0: like to show their lady parts. Yeah, and men should
1: and not men be looking at that. And men don't like
0: to look at them. Yes.
1: <laughs> and so, uh, in those days, <laughs> male midwifery, midwifery, I don't know how to pronounce it, midwifery. It sounds like the way they would say it.
0: Hmm. We'll say wifery. I like wifery. midwifery. <laughs> okay.
1: It took decades to catch on, but delivering babies actually bolstered uh, physician income. So, people without goods or cash, so you got no money and i don't have any bad paintings to give you
0: oh maybe they could offer a service yeah
1: uh, (laughs) but they paid (laughs) they paid in labor and so uh bakers there was some some and i got some of this from a doctor's notebook that i read uh where he actually Mm -hmm. charted how these people paid Mm -hmm. and uh, one of them mentioned a baker who paid with bread carpenters with woodcraft tallow chandlers who made candles, I believe, if I'm saying it correctly. Oh, yeah, okay. they candle makers, oh. but it's tallow chandlers. Uh-huh. Some candle guys. probably like, that's uh-huh. not how it's pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> so wealthier patients would sometimes pay in advance with annual contracts like concierge medicine today.
0: Brian, if you were a doctor in the 18th or 19th century and you had a patient that could not afford to pay you um, with money or... Goods, <laughs> bad paintings. <laughs> what kind of service would you want somebody? What, what 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 kind of patient would you like to have of this types of service that they could offer you in, in in turn for your medical care?
1: Well, I think back then, thinking about what you need, right? I think, and I actually mentioned this one. I think things like laundry, uh, mm-hmm. uh, cooking, that yeah, kind of so thing. So you'd
0: want somebody to cook for you or do your laundry. Take your stuff down. I think
1: you just set me up to sound like a terrible man. No, no, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, because you know what I was thinking? I was thinking I would want to like treat a cobbler because I love shoes. Ah. (laughs) And I was thinking, man, if somebody could make me a nice pair of like custom, nice leather shoes, that would just be so awesome. Or like a
1: blacksmith or something if you needed like some...
0: Horseshoes?
1: Yeah, there you go. Or silverware or something like that. (laughs) A sword? Yeah, there you go. Oh. And we see the same theme that we've seen through our historical journey here, that the fees were basically worked out privately between the doctor and the head of the household. And some, like, as we've gone through, sometimes it's a little bit more than that. But until we get to what we're going to talk about next, where we talk about actual uh, fee regulation, where they were like, okay, let's really figure out what people should be paying for this. Um, for, until then, the doctor and the head of the household basically worked out some way to pay, which in the physician was generally flexible and adapted to the patient's ability to pay.
0: So what started all of this in regions where there were lots of practitioners, they competed for patients. So one way to edge out the competition was to charge less than other doctors. But a real problem for the physicians were all the non-physician practitioners who charged considerably less for treatment. So if a barber surgeon was there or a midwife, um, or even apothecaries at the time, um, you know, would would provide treatment, and they charged considerably less. Doctors in urban areas began to organize themselves, they created formal medical societies, and these societies provided a place for them to meet and exchange knowledge, ideas, best practices, financial record keeping. But it also helped to establish standardized fees. So what they came up with were fee bills. This was a listing of the minimal fees for services that local physicians who belonged to the same group or society had agreed upon. They were published in newspapers and various postings. This allowed physicians to charge more for their services, but they could not charge less. So this established the minimal fees. The purpose was to stop doctors from undercutting each other and respectable doctors who belonged to the same society would publish their names. This helped boost the reputation as competent and ethical doctors. And Brian, one of the most famous fee bills is the Boston fee bill.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I read the same thing that the Boston Medical Society of 1780 developed a fee bill which stopped physicians, just like you said, from undercutting each other. So established minimums so the doctors could charge more, but not less. Which doesn't just seem very strange. Yeah. yeah. But uh, one thing I I read that at the time, the the feeling of of patients at the time um, and the public was that patients did not want to pay if they did not receive a drug or a procedure. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting because think about going in now where a doctor, you walk in and you pay for this visit and you you basically get what you got oh, yeah. when you read it on, on WebMD. And or they, they, they just the refer you. Yeah. And yeah. Like, they go, Seriously? oh, yeah.
0: Sorry. I can't help you. Yeah. You have to go see I've been waiting three yeah. months
1: for this appointment and that's it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and, and the other thing I saw was that, uh, physicians controlled the fees and they always made sure that they were well compensated interesting statistic between 1795 and 1806 the cost of living changed very little but fees increased 50 to 60 percent
0: yeah they said that in in the good economic times they would raise their fees but when hard economic times hit they would not lower the fees yeah
1: yeah and, and in poorer areas the fee bills were set to curb the exorbitant and oppressive. So uh, one example in Boston in 1806, and this is just an example I saw of what you could what you could expect to pay. A regular single visit was $1.50. Now imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> normal obstetrical delivery was twelve dollars. Gonorrhea treatment was ten bucks. <laughs> that seems a lot.
0: Wait, say that again. Gonorrhea what, treatment. What was the treatment before?
1: Uh, normal obstetrical delivery.
0: Okay, so you can deliver a baby for how much? Twelve bucks. Twelve bucks. Oh, but to get rid of gonorrhea is 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Okay. Yes. Okay.
1: So, once again, female treatment is always going to cost yeah. more. <laughs> and a leg amputation. You know how much that's going to set you back?
0: Um, let me guess. Let me guess. Um, I'm going to say 8 bucks.
1: $40.
0: 40 Oh, wow. Yeah, that was Okay. So one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you Probably because it, it was so common, too. They just saw a little ant bite and they'd be like, oh, we better and cut it off. Maybe because <laughs> they didn't want to
1: do it. Or maybe it was just like, oh, i got to cut this dude's leg off. It's bloody. It's the dude screaming. It's one of those procedures. Think about procedures and which ones you want to do and which you don't want to do. I think it's supply and
0: demand. I think it's supply and demand. Yeah, maybe they probably charged a lot because there was big, big demand.
1: I could see that, but I could also see them going. I just hate doing leg <laughs> It's just a mess. Screaming. Yeah. It's just oh god, it's the worst. <laughs> I can see that. So now, as we start to move into the west and and uh, colonial expansion happens, and people start to move uh, out of the east coast and and kind of move westward. Uh, lower populations and poor patients required innovative solutions from doctors, and so I saw this one. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this one. I'll let, again, overlapping stuff. But one physician would only agree to move westward in 1871 after 25 families, and I believe it was like Arizona Territory somewhere, would agree to pay him a hundred dollars a year for his services. So contrast that to a place like Boston obviously was kind of a, a more metropolitan area and the poor areas, like I said, the fee bills were set to, to curb exorbitant and oppressive uh, in South Carolina, for example, they did just the opposite. Instead of establishing a minimum, where the physicians weren't able to to kind of play off each other and try to undercut each other, they established a maximum. So there, because it's a rural community, people had less money, they basically made it so that you could not charge more. And uh, that was just really making sure that the people in that area could afford the services that they needed.
0: Oh, yeah. And I read that um, those fee bills were... Established by the community. Mm-hmm. So the fees themselves were established by the community, Correct. not by the doctors. And so that's interesting because um, that's con- when it's set by the community, it's considerably lower than when it's set by the physicians.
1: So as we start to uh, expand westward and people move from the East Coast and as America takes on more territory and everybody knows the story, we have the, uh, the mass migrations westward. Uh, low populations and poor patients required basically innovative solutions with doctors to be able to get paid. And so, again, just like with moving from Europe to the New World, physicians who were well-established back East were like, eh, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> If you're a physician and you're doing all right in Boston yeah. at that time, you're like, I'm not going yeah. to yeah. North Carolina or North Dakota or somewhere like that. To, <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, but one uh, example I saw was in 1871, I believe it was in Arizona territory. One physician would only agree to move westward after 25 families agreed to pay him $100 a year for his services. And so that was one way where he was like, I'm not going unless you absolutely guarantee that I'm going to get paid.
0: Yeah, so, all the families pitched in to pay that yeah. his salary. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so. Um, and barter was also very common. So just like in the we talked about before, uh, you get out there and it's like poultry, cattle, tobacco, fruit, vegetables, wood, and clothes. But if you think about in in the West, as opposed to when we mentioned before, where people were bartering, you're getting a bad painting, and you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this. But <laughs> if you're out west, where supplies are, in order for you to survive, you really need these things. Barter yeah. might have become a more useful proposition for you as a physician so True. if you're hungry and somebody gives you a few chickens or you know some cattle yeah. you can survive with that whereas yeah. where even if you made the money right you, know, you don't have any place to spend yeah it. it's not going to yeah. do you as much good yeah. you know so
0: it's kind of like this pandemic thing
1: <laughs> yeah there, there you go there
0: all you dressed got. up and nowhere to go
1: and so it's the same thing, though we still see the use of the sliding fee scale that that you know patients paid based mm-hmm. on their ability to pay. Um, and uh, it, I thought it was just really interesting if we go back and kind of tease out a little bit more of.
0: Did you see any of them online? Did you see the one from Boston? I did. Oh, because I have I have a link to it here. It's um, I'm gonna pull it up real quick. Some of them were very detailed. Like, for instance, um, travel to a distant home for a house call included an extra fee because that meant less time to see other patients. And um, there were all kinds of inconvenience fees, like um, night calls and bad weather (laughs) emergencies or, oh, frequent visits to the same patient, I guess, if you have a hypochondriac. And I don't think this means like frequent visits to the same patient because, you know, we already established that um, in the house calls episode that, doctors would go and see the same patient throughout the illness. I don't think it means like that. I think it just means that, oh, today you have a headache, and tomorrow you have a stomach ache, and the next day you have, you know, whatever. Um, I'm
1: sure that was meant to be a deterrent from that, That yeah. So looking at this fee bill that you just pulled up, I think it's really interesting because I mentioned that amputations will run you 40 bucks. That is uh, not necessarily the case. It seems like ba- based on this, amputations of a thigh would run you 40 And amputation of a leg or an arm would run you $20. And amputation of the fingers or toes, each one would be <laughs> 5 <laughs> bucks. And gonorrhea for the first prescription was $10. <laughs> for, this, for the six subsequent office prescriptions, no additional charge. I thought was nice of them. For each prescription after the seventh was a dollar each. So if you keep oh, coming in. Oh these are called
0: these are called secret diseases Ooh, se- too. Gonorrhea was a yeah, secret, secret disease. diseases. Gonorrhea. So, wait, wait, wait.
1: so for the first prescription, the first time you get gonorrhea, it's ten bucks. <laughs> for six subsequent office prescriptions. No additional charge. I'm assuming that means in case it has not been treated and you need more or whether or not you just got gonorrhea again. <laughs> six more
0: well, nights. let's see. What it says is gonorrhea for the first prescription, $10. For the six subsequent office prescriptions, no additional charge. For each prescription after the seventh, $1. $1.
1: So there's a follow up, something soon.
0: <laughs> I don't.
1: Not like hey, I don't I got know it again. unless you <laughs> keep
0: dipping your pen in the same bad ink. <laughs> that's all I can.
1: Think. Same thing with syphilis. Apparently, syphilis will run you a little bit more. So for the first prescription, that's twenty bucks, and for the same same deal. So they're running a special for six subsequent <laughs> office prescriptions, no additional charge, and for the seventh, if you get it again, another dollar. So, wow.
0: Yeah, and it says. Also, under secret diseases, um, for the treatment of organic stricture of the urethra, <laughs> twenty five to fifty dollars. And
1: people who don't know what that means, a stricture is basically a uh, tightening. I guess yeah, I mean, it's a right tightening, saying. and it's so basically can
0: in a male urethra. It's often caused from these secret
1: diseases. They're all classified under the same spot, so. Basically, um, you've been in bad places.
0: This is what I liked. This is what, well, this is not what I liked, but this is what I thought was interesting is that under obstetrics, it says delivering a white woman of a, d- delivering like a single baby from a white woman was 20 bucks. Delivering a single baby from a black woman was 10 bucks. And then delivering, Twins of a white woman was $30. So you only have to pay an increase of 50%. It's oh. not double. Okay. Right. <laughs> but, but if you deliver twins from a black lady, it is double.
1: Ah, uh, interesting. And one of the doctor's names is Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that jumped out at me. Oh,
0: goodness. Also, what's interesting on here is it talks about. You know, like difficult or instrumental delivery, like of a fetus, um, it goes up to a hundred bucks. But then it says abortions should t- be charged as labors.
1: It doesn't S- flesh that surely
0: out. They don't, surely they don't mean like in the traditional sense of no, abortion. No, maybe if
1: there's some sort of complication where it has to be, yeah. they get in there and they realize mm-hmm. that this isn't, but it doesn't flesh that out and give a price for that. So right. I don't know what charged as laborers means.
0: Hmm. Also, it says here, if a physician is summoned to attend a woman and labor and is in the house, but does not officiate, which means that the midwife delivered the baby, he shall still receive the same fee as if he did. So just his presence being there, he still gets paid as if he did all the work. I was there. Hmm. What do you know?
1: So we've talked about enemas before in the past and uh, when they were called clisters. But administering an enema will run you two bucks. So not bad.
0: Physician's attendance. So just them being in your home. Maybe they're not even doing anything. Let's see. Um, Necessary attendance on a patient for period longer than two hours to be charged. For every additional hour in the day, 50 cents. (laughs) But for every additional hour in the night, one dollar. A whole day's attendance you'd get five, you'd pay five dollars. A whole night's attendance and him sitting up, so like he's there and he's awake, not there and asleep. So if he's there and he has to be awake with you, it's ten bucks. A day and night's attendance without sitting up is ten dollars. So if he's there all day and all night, but he gets to sleep the night shift, <laughs> then it's ten dollars so interesting okay so if we're looking at all of the charges on here for all of the different kinds of services there's several one dollar charges on here but one of them is um, bleeding so bloodletting would be one of the cheapest things on here and Brian what's the most expensive
1: it looks like the most expensive when you go over to the operations that they would perform. I mean, first of all, <laughs> clearly your amputations are going to set you back. But I think <laughs> if you look on based on what we're seeing here, it looks like operation for a strangulated hernia would run you from fifty to a hundred bucks. Mm. So yeah, it seemed like that's that was a really bowery section
0: right there. You just bought yourself a bowery section yeah. on your dining room table
1: <laughs> <laughs> on your dining room table with no <laughs> anesthesia. Yeah, good times. Yeah,
0: good luck with that.
1: And it seemed like there there was a constant... uh, Prescriptions ran you about a buck without any uh, co-pays, I guess, or anything like that, so... (laughs) Generic. This is covered. Yeah, there's no generics. (laughs) There's
0: no generic. So... The only other thing that I wanted to add to this delightful conversation that we've had today is that there are a few interesting financial disclosures from some of the doctors in the United Kingdom from the 19th century. And it says... That Okay, the following that I'm going to describe were all Victorian doctors, they were surgeons, and they practiced in hospitals in the 19th century. A great 19th century surgeon died in 1899. His estimated value of his estate at the time of his death was equivalent to 26 million pounds in 2002. Ooh. So, and isn't the pound like two times the US dollar or something, or almost...
1: Yes. Yeah, so that would be like
0: that would be like thirteen million dollars in two thousand two. Wow. So I don't even know what that is today. Um, another surgeon died in nineteen oh nine, leaving an estate estimated at equivalent of thirty three million pounds in two thousand two. Another died in 1882, leaving an estate estimated at equivalent of 68 million pounds in 2002. But I think he, the caveat on that one was that he, he died at a younger age. Um, so these other two that I described, they were older, like in their 70s when they died. And this guy was, was younger, if I remember correctly. But <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, that is a lot of coin.
1: And you said they were surgeons, right?
0: They were surgeons. Wow. Yeah, that's next. that's after they they booted out the barber
1: surgeons and well it makes <laughs> sense if uh, if uh, strangulated hernia is running you a hundred bucks and a leg amputation right, costs forty right yeah, there you go
0: right and you're at a hospital where they just come to you and yeah. you're just like standing wow. you're like next next yeah. you don't even take time to wash your hands in between patients oh yeah they
1: go from room to room with dirty aprons and just oh, yeah it's they
0: said that. Um, The dirtier and bloodier they were, the more patients thought they must be good at their jobs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Physicians who practiced in the 20th century did not have nearly the same financial success. So the wealth of physicians has steadily declined, sadly
1: well, I guess now, especially when you go to medical school and you pay through the nose to become a doctor and you had to pay back loans <laughs> and all this other stuff. So I saw kind of the same thing. And again, and this is where we kind of step in it a little bit because we're not trying to make any kind of political statement about modern healthcare at all. And we
0: don't have any opinions or, correct. yeah, we don't, we don't care that doctors make a lot of money or that they don't. <laughs> this is not for us to debate.
1: Right. We're just kind of painting a picture of how this history kind of worked itself out. And uh, we mentioned this before, but the, what we just described are the sliding fee scales where it's based on the patient's ability to pay. And uh, that kind of persisted really through history until insurance and it drove standardization. And so we look at modern healthcare and Medicare rules in, in the United States, Medicare rules and managed care discounts really encourage providers to use a sliding scale that changes, to where the patients uh, which charges the patients who can afford to pay the least the most. And that's kind of, that's modern times really flip things upside down and so uh again that's not a statement on whether that's right or wrong it's just the way it is and so primary care physicians now charge uninsured um a third to half more than they receive from insurers for basic office visits and hospital visits and markups for high-tech tests specialists and invasive procedures are sometimes two to two and a half times higher uh depending and uh, some of the stuff depending on where you are Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing so these are just general kind of things but you know there is definitely a debate over and it's, we're not trying to have that debate here we keep trying to make these disclaimers but <laughs> you know that's it's an issue you know right now but we look at where we came where we came from, where it was more the where we started out with whether or not physicians should be paid at all philosophically, right. <laughs> to uh, you know some places where you were paid if you didn't do a good job, you had to pay the person, yeah. To other places where you got fingers cut off if you didn't do a good job, <laughs> and then other places where you get a bad painting to get paid, and now we're where we are. So I think it's been it, it's it's really a fascinating look back and to see like where we've come financially in medicine because it's not yeah. something I think people would really think
0: yeah. about. Yeah this was really interesting this has given us a lot of food for thought and um we sure do appreciate you guys listening to us today and we hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you will join us next week